Hello, and welcome to the Sunday Sermon Cast from Bethel Evangelical Free Church on Washington Island, Wisconsin. I'm Rick Smith, and I've been here at Bethel since 2016, enjoying this great church on this spectacular place off the northern tip of Door County, Wisconsin. This message comes from our Sunday morning service here on the island, and it's geared towards discovering what the Bible has to say to us in our everyday lives. So, God's blessing on you, and thanks for joining with us wherever you are today. Well, hello there. What are we to make of all this? To me, this feels like one of those thriller novels I've read about pandemics and all the things that happen around that. And there's all these different things that have some basic premise that could be possible, and yet we're really living it today. And, and how is it going to come out? How do we navigate our way through this? And how, how do we as a church which when it's, that word is used in Scripture, it means gathering. And so if the church is the gathering, what does it mean to be the church when we don't gather? And, well, that's what we're trying to figure out. As we mentioned in the website and on our Facebook page and in the tidings, well, we're doing this. Uh, we're trying to, to have at least a little bit of a focus uh, into a world where we're cut off from one another. And, and as followers of Jesus here at Bethel Church and on the island, we are, we are cut off, and yet we remember what's essential, that there's a core to everything that we believe, something that we remember intentionally every month when we do communion, that Jesus is at the center of this, that what God has done on our behalf matters. And so we come today, tomorrow, however, whenever you're going to see this, remembering that there's a point in us being reminded of these good and, and important things. There's this old story uh, some years ago, but that's a great illustration of, of, of how God works through services. There was a local newspaper had a Sunday morning religion section that contained a, non, a number of things. Letters to the editor. editor. Uh, most weeks they were pretty innocuous, but one Sunday afternoon, uh, something was printed that became pretty controversial. The guy wrote, I quit going to church this year. I decided that listening to sermons week after week was a stupid thing to do. After all, I went to church for more than 40 years, and during my lifetime, I probably heard 5,000 sermons, and I can only remember about five of them. What a waste of time. I was signed by bored and busy. Well, that sparked a fury of incoming letters. Some people wrote that, that, that sermons do make a difference, another side with, sided with bored and busy, and, and they were basically meaningless and unnecessarily. And, and there was one final letter that came in that, that ended the debate, and it was written this way. I quit eating this year. Thanks to bored and busy's insight, I decided that eating week after week was a stupid thing to do. After all, I've been eating for more than 40 years, and during my lifetime, I probably have eaten 5,000 meals. I can only remember about five of them. What a waste of time. I was saying starved and stupid. <laughs> what I like about that story is it, it gets to the heart of what we do here. It's not about necessarily being stupid memorable every time we come out, but we gather here to be reminded of what it is that we we draw and have in common, that we as followers of Jesus come together to be refreshed, to be renewed, to remember in the difficult things that are going on in our world that there's someone out there beyond us because sometimes it's easy to miss his presence 
And that's why we gather. And that's why we have sermons. So that we can look at the word of God and say, how does this fit into my life? We look forward to what's next and what's coming and the place that God has in our midst, in our life. And, and we're in a weird state right now, not knowing what's going to come next. When will things get back to normal? We don't know. Where's their hope? Well, Peter has a reminder that hope is still there. Because when he writes in his second letter, in Second Peter, he writes to a church that's facing some opposition and some confusion about, about what's right. And he points them back to the blessed hope that we have in Jesus' new life. In his letter, there's a lot of discussion about false teachers, especially uh, in the chapter we looked at last week in our previous message, that these, these false teachers have, have come and they're leading people away. They're talking about living licentious lives, doing whatever you want because God's grace gives you that opportunity, but also in a mocking way. And, but as, as Doug Moo points out in, in his commentary, says, you know, this letter is not written to the false teachers. It's written to Christians. And he uses the false teachers as a foil to give a positive teaching and an exhortation to live this out. And so we're going to look at 2 Peter chapter 3. If you have your Bibles there, uh, I encourage you to open it there. Uh, we're going to be looking at this chapter as it, as it turns its focus away from the false teachers, their impact, and their condemnation, which he talked quite a little about, uh, back to the believers he was writing to. And so uh, 2 Peter chapter 3 And this is in the New Living Testament. This is my second letter to you, dear friends. And in both of them, I've tried to stimulate your wholesome thinking and refresh your memory. I want you to remember what the Holy Prophet said long ago and what our Lord and Savior commanded through your apostles. Most importantly, I want to remind you that in the last days, scoffers will come, mocking the truth and following their own desires. They will say, What happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? From before the times of our ancestors, everything has remained the same since the world was first created. They deliberately forget that God made the heavens by the word of his command, and he brought the earth out from the water and surrounded it with water. Then he used the water to destroy the ancient world with a mighty flood, and by the same world, by the same word, The present heavens and earth have been stored up for fire. They are being kept for the day of judgment when ungodly people will be destroyed. Uh, In these first seven verses, he talks about God's plan and what is going on here. So after, again, the warnings of the false teachers in chapter 2, he redirects to you dear friends, uh, you beloved ones of mine, and he addresses them with an intent. Peter's purpose here is, uh, and some of the words he uses here, is to stimulate and refresh, to remember, to help remind them of the things that they've been taught, things that they were taught from the prophets of old in the Old Testament, but also from the apostles as they told them about Jesus and what Jesus has done on their behalf. Why does he need to remind them? I mean, Many of us know the commands. We know this. And, and again, similar to Bored and Busy's comments, you know, I, I'm not really learning new things here. 
But maybe it's not learning new things, but re- being reminded, as, as Daryl Charles writes, uh, uh, it's, it's possible to be exposed to truth as, as Peter had the utmost privilege earlier and yet negate that truth as, that truth as Peter is personally and painfully aware. His life is a poignant lifelong memory of confession followed by denial. Peter, spending three years with Jesus, sometimes forgot who it was he was with and blew it. And yet, now uses those experiences to say, we need to be reminded. We need to see this again and look at it again to be refreshed. Because there are competing messages out there. And as we go through our weeks, there's times when we lose track and lose sights. And that's where the Old Testament prophets come in because they talked about how there would be scoffers and those who mocked along the way. And the apostles, as they related Jesus' word, because Jesus talked as well in Matthew 24, that in the end times there will be people who will scoffing and they'll be mocking and they'll be drawing people away from following God. And so there's warning to be had here. So as we pick that up then in verse 8, uh, he continues on with, with where the, the scoffers are and what it is that they're scoffing. Uh, they're scoffing about Jesus' return. Is Jesus really going to come back? That's the mocking tone that they have to it. It's not going to happen. How could it possibly happen? It's been so long. Uh, nothing's changed ever. So why do you put this hope in this thing that's, that's not going to come? And, and uh, again, there is this mocking part to them. Mockers, as Doug Moo says, Mockers do not so much reason against the truth of God as they do disdain and belittle it. Let me read that again. Mockers do not so much reason against the truth of God as they do disdain and belittle it. I don't know if you read much on the internet, but much of the opposition and the, and the discourse that happens between people this day when we, when we differ on how we look at things is not listening and trying to appreciate what's happening and how to, 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 to figure out how they can incorporate or deal with or, or have discussions, but it's mockery. It's disdain. It's complete dismissal of, of everything that one side or the other says. And that's some of the things that face even the church this day, that there is mocking that happens. And, and certainly for those of us here in 2020... We, as maybe some of these mockers in the days of Peter, are wondering, all right, Jesus is supposed to be coming. If it was a long time already in Peter's day, how much longer is it for us now? And, and, and certainly that's a challenge. And, and for Peter in his day, as with people struggling with this, because again, they thought Jesus would be coming back soon, that, that we even within that first generation, they would see him come again. And now we are many generations behind that. But Peter's word here still is important for us. Again, to isolate the fact that, they, that the mockers, uh, as they deliberately forget who God is, that when God made the heavens, he did it by his word. And when punishment came, as it did in the times of Noah, and the floods filled the earth, and the testimony about mankind was that their inclination was evil all the time, 
And by God's word, the flood came. His reminder here is God is powerful. God has put things to place. He has made everything. Referring to Genesis chapter 1 as well. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It is God who puts this into place and God who has the power. And, and so the same one who has created and brought condemnation and punishment before can do it again. Don't forget that. And so then as he moves on in, in verse 8, he says, But you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord. And a thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No. He is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise, and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire. And the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment Since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives you should live, looking forward to the day of God and hurrying it along. On that day, he will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away in the flames. Peter, again, talking about the false teachers and how they have forgotten, they have deliberately forgotten what God has done, turns it around again and says, Dear friends, my beloved ones, You must not forget this one thing, that what God has done, what God has put in place here is something beyond what we can think and what we can imagine. That in quoting from Psalm here, that Peter is reminding the people, God can do all things. For to him, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. And so if we're not even to 2,000 years after Jesus' death, Or not even two days on some reckoning. And there's a purpose to the delay. And the purpose is is not merely to delay the promise unnecessarily, but that many may come to know who God is. That they might repent themselves. And in his goodness and his graciousness, this idea that that that. Paul brings up in the book of Romans as well. That that is, it's God's patience that has delayed this. And as Paul writes in uh, in, in 1 Timothy, that he wants all people to come to faith in him. And so it's his patience wanting everyone to repent and come back to him. That's that's what this plan is for God and and what he's calling us to and, and what he wants us to remember And then he gets back and reciting some things that Jesus says again Uh, in verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come as expectantly, unexpectedly as as a thief. This is out of Jesus' own words as he tells his disciples, be like a thief. No one's going to know. If you knew when the thief was going to come, you'd be ready, but you don't know. And Jesus' point is live each day as if today could be the day the Lord comes. Be found doing what. You ought to be found doing, living faithfully for him. It reminds us that judgment is going to happen. It'll be, it'll, be, it'll be hard and difficult. If you refuse to come to him, it's going to be hard. It's going to be awful. 
And so he's reminding the people to persevere in their faith, to, to continue to walk on faithfully with him. Uh, there's echoes of chapter 1 in here when he talks about the things that, that we must add to our faith. Things like goodness and kindness and perseverance and loving kindness and, and brotherly love and self-control. These are things that, that we add to our faith as we grow and mature. This develops in our lives. And so he says, if everything is going to be destroyed, these bodies we live in, we know they're not going to last. Death comes to us all. That's an obvious thing around us. And while it has greater intensity now with seeing many people die because of the virus that's happening, it has always been our destiny. And what is lasting is God's ongoing work of his coming back and returning to set things to right. And so as he says again in verse 11, what holy and godly lives you should live, looking forward to the day of God and hurrying it along. God's plan might be delayed, but don't forget, God's word is still powerful and strong. That for us, we can look to what he has said. We can rely upon our scriptures because it relates to us who God is and what he has done. And then he finishes up the the letter this way, uh, starting in, in verse 13. But we are looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth as he promised, a world filled with God's righteousness. And so, dear friends, while you are waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives, that are pure and blameless in his sight. And remember, our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. This is what our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom God gave him, speaking of these things in all of his letters. Some of his comments are, are hard to understand, and those who are ignorant, ignorant and unstable have twisted his letters to mean something quite different, just as they do with other parts of Scripture. And, and this will result in their destruction. I am warning you ahead of time, dear friends. Be on guard so that you will not be carried away by these errors of these wicked people and lose your secure footing. Rather, you must grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. All glory to him, both now and forever. Amen. Coming to the end of this letter, he re- comes back to this idea of knowledge, which he started off in the first chapter. That was this knowledge that built us up and, and as in growing in knowledge, that, that we don't just stay static. We learn more and more what it means to live this life, to walk faithfully with them and, and to do that within community. And in doing so, we are able to spot the errors that some might come taking the, the word and, and what we hear and, and comparing them and say, is, is this teaching I'm hearing, is it consistent with what the scriptures say? And then living that out. And it got, reminds them again, God's patience is there to give people time to come and to repent. The entire point is that the, the end times could happen soon. And so what do we do? live this spotless life, to be on guard, to continue to grow in grace and knowledge. 
Now, Peter here, he's not interested in timetables and charts that say when the end of the world will come, and neither is God. What does God want us to do to glorify him in our life as an individual and and as a community of believers that glorify him as well? In my first year of student ministries, I I met this young fella, Mike. He was a freshman in in one of the local schools, and and he was really kind of a punk. Uh, One night, uh, he'd come to church, and he, for some reason, the front door is locked, and he was locked out, and so he's banging on a window to get in. Well, he breaks the window. And uh, so, but to his credit, uh, he comes and finds me when he gets in and, and says, hey, I broke this window, and, and uh, I says, okay, well, let's, uh, let's get it covered, and, uh, and uh, at least keep the cold out, and, and when I responded that way, it kind of blew him away, because he was used to getting in trouble for doing idiotic things sometimes, and, and so expected me just to, to, to light into him, but, and just saying, let's, well, let's get it fixed and taken care of, and, and he found some cardboard and took care of it and and we got it taped up until we could get the the piece of of glass to fix it out and and over the years he was off and on in terms of his his coming to student ministry time but uh, towards the the later years uh, we we grew close we'd play tennis together we'd play some hockey together and and I could just see him growing and maturing and 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 just falling in love with Jesus it was becoming just a significant part of his life. and uh, So much so that some years later, after I left the church to go to seminary, I came back visiting, and he wanted to sit down with me. And in sitting down with me, he, he was kind of testing me. Because some of his experience and some of what he heard about people who go to seminary is that they, they come out with the life of faith kind of squeezed out of them. That in studying the word so much, they lost connection with the life of God. And so he just was scrutinizing me and, and trying to figure out, am I still that same person or has that changed me fundamentally? Uh, one of the, the funny things uh, at Bible colleges with seminary campuses on there as well, a lot of times the, the Bible college students will look across the campus at the seminary and and and. and not so pleasantly refer to it as the cemetery. <laughs> this is the perspective of, of some young ones towards what seminary can do to people. And so he was concerned about me and the vitality of my life. And, and I just delight to, to, to hear that. And, and I delight in seeing where Mike is at today continuing to walk faithfully with God. He's active in his church. He, uh, he does uh, even some of the dramatic productions that his church does. He's involved in, in coaching tennis to young men and, and living this life out. And, and that's the beautiful thing. That in things we go through, this is the call. We don't dwell on the past mistakes and just sit there. We remember that God calls on us to follow him and to love him, that we gather together in community to be reminded, to be refreshed, to have our spirits and our hearts stimulated into wholesome thinking, to remember what God has spoken to us through the prophets in the Old Testament and through uh, the, the apostles in the New Testament, to live this life out in the toughest of times, there's going to be scoffers and there's going to be mockers. 
But we, again, look to our God. We look to know him. And so a question as we go through this, how about you? Is that your concern? Uh, Yeah, we face skepticism and doubt even within ourselves, but the call is to live faithfully with the expectation of God's working in our life and the anticipation that no matter how much a mess this world is in, Christ is coming again. This is our blessed hope. That what he has said he will do, he will do. And we will know him and follow him. We don't know what's going to happen here. We're not sure how long we're going to do this uh, over the next couple of weeks. Certainly we're not going to be having church here in the sanctuary, but uh, trying to connect this way at least with a little bit of, of connection with the word, but finding other ways to encourage and build one another up. Because again, the church is the gathering. It's not this building. This building is a great building, but it's just a tool that helps people gather around the Lord. Well, how will we do that? Those are some of the things for us to discover and to figure out as we live this and do this together. Maybe we have an increased attentiveness to those and and, and make phone calls and check up with them and, and see how they're doing. If there's people in need who have things that they need delivered or if they need a ride or, and sometimes even if it puts us at risk, we do that to express the love of God to others. I have been uh, citing recently uh, letters from, from Martin Luther, who in, in 1527 was in his town facing the, the, the problems of, of a plague that had come in. And, and he writes a letter, should we flee during the times of the plague? And, and his answer is yes and no. Uh, the no part of it is if you have a neighbor who has needs, and if you are a person in responsibility, particularly pastors or, or others who are medical people or town people, you stick through this to, to help through the, the, the storm and you help people as they have need. If your neighbor needs something, help them. That's part of living this Christian life out. But he also says that if they have help, then you don't need to go over there and unnecessarily expose yourself to those kind of things. In doing so, you may then pass uh, those germs on to someone else. So, So to take care of yourself if you're not needed, but certainly if there's opportunities to help, then to do that. So how will we do that? Well, part of that is for us to discover over these next days and weeks. Maybe this is going to be blown over in a week or two. Maybe, well, maybe not. Maybe it'll hit the island hard. We don't know. But what we do know is our hope is not in whatever we can do physically here. It is in the Lord. And that one day he will come back and set everything to right. So in this life, we can care for others, loving them. I want to sing a couple songs at the end here. Uh, one of them, both of them are, will be familiar to you. It is well with my soul and, and the doxology. Uh, it is well with my soul. Uh, many of you know that this song was written by a guy in the midst of loss. And in the midst of having lost his family at sea, he turns to God and, and says, it is well with my soul. That's instructive for us. Because his perspective also looks to what God will eventually do. 
as uh, he says in that fourth verse, that, and Lord, haste the day when the faith shall be sight, the clouds be rolled back as a scroll, the trump shall resound, and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. Father, we do come before you. And as we join with uh, Horatio Spafford in this song, it is well with our soul. Well, no matter what happens, no matter the circumstances we're facing, we recognize that you still exist, that you still are the sovereign Lord. In a world that wonders, where are you, Lord? We know that you are there. And why these things happen in the manner they are, we're not sure. But yet we trust in you because you're a good God who has loved us and cared for us. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your promise that one day you will set things right, that you will come again and there will be a new heaven and a new earth. All will be made right. And in the meantime, Lord, help us to live this faithfully for you, to live steadfastly, recognizing you as our Lord and our Savior, that Jesus came and he died on our behalf and he rose again. And Lord, that makes a difference in our lives. Help us to live this out, to grow in goodness and kindness to live righteous lives that, that honor you. Not that that saves us, but because you have saved us. We want to live for you, glorify you in all that we do. Help us in these days. Give us strength, but give us wisdom. Give us your mind to do what needs to be done around us. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear that those who need to hear this message of your amazing grace can join us in this new life. Guide and direct us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, God bless you. Uh, and may your hope continue to be in him in, uh, in these days to come. Amen. Well, thanks again for listening. And to learn more about how you can connect with Bethel Community Church, check out our website at islandbethelchurch.com or join us for a service Saturday night at 6 or Sunday morning at 1045. Hope to see you soon. God bless you.